Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, we're really glad that you're here with us today at Church in the Valley. Uh, my name is my name is Jeep Underwood, and today we're going to be looking at the Christmas season and our need of hope and how those are really intertwined. Uh, you know, our family our family really looks forward to Christmas every year. We're uh, it's just something we really enjoy. Uh, I think Donovan started singing Christmas songs about a month and a half ago, and uh, he just loves it coming up. And then a lot of arguments with him and his brother saying it's not yet. You can't do that yet. And so finally we got the Thanksgiving, and now it's okay. So. So there's a lot of Christmas uh, in our house, and uh, you know there's some there's a real common experience that I think a lot of us had as kids, and that is the anticipation and the waiting for Christmas. Um, just it just feels like it's not ever going to get there as a kid, um, but then it eventually does. You know, our kids with our kids, we we open presents on Christmas morning, and uh, when you're when you have little kids. If you don't set some boundaries, they will get you up at about four o'clock in the morning and ask if it's time yet. <clears throat> and so I would, I would set a time. I would set a time and I would, it'd be like six thirty in the morning. You know, I wasn't cruel. Just <laughs> six thirty in the morning. And, you know, I'd get up about five thirty and we'd kind of get ready for the day. And, and I would go, I'd walk by their door and they would all sleep in the same room. I'd walk by the door and there would be, the light would be on five thirty in the morning, which is not a common occurrence with our kids. You know, they, they like to sleep. And then the light was on, and you could hear them whispering and talking to each other. And I'd walk by, and they go, "Is that Dad? Is Dad walking by?" I said, "No, hey guys, uh, I would just try not to talk, so I didn't, you know, rattle them." Because, but they, they, what they do, they also take the clock out of our bathroom. I found that out later. They put it there, and they were like just watching the clock tick down. And, <laughs> but they just, you know, no matter the thing about it is, you know, no long, no matter how slow it takes, no matter how long it feels like it gets there. There is the promise of the certainty of Christmas morning. You know, as a kid, Christmas does come. And there are, you know, there are outcomes and there are things in our lives that we're waiting for and hoping for that we're really, they're really hoping that they really come about. And maybe there's some hard things that we're facing. You know, there's things that, where the outcomes really, really matter to us. And one thing we need in our lives is hope. Is we need, we need hope in our lives, um, just that the good is coming. You know, there's a there's a there's a saying that that people can live for about 40 days without food, people can live for about four days without water, people can live for about four minutes without air. Now, I don't want to test any of that, but uh, but then you know, people really can't live without hope. You have to have hope that there will be something good in the future for you. So the question is, you know, how do you how do you have hope when things are uncertain? How do you have hope when things are uncertain? You know, the things that happen and you're not sure how things are going to turn out, it really, and it really matters how they turn out to you. Um, for me, when I, the, the, one of the stories, the things that come to my mind when I think of this is about seven years ago, uh, when I was, I was a project manager for a large scale construction project for the Army Corps of Engineers. And we had a, we had a project, every year we have projects that have to get awarded, uh, to a contractor by the end of our fiscal year, which is September. Uh, every year. And it's a big deal because Congress gives us our money. And if we don't get our, if we don't get our things awarded, then Congress could decide to pull our funding. And so this was a large project, about $25 million. And we really were driving to get it done. And our company has a lot of metrics that they use to just, you know, basically put pressure on us to make sure that we, we get our projects awarded. And so as we're coming in close to September, 
we got our design done. We had everything ready to go. But we didn't, the real estate, we had our project partner that had our real estate, and they had to get the real estate for us. And you can't build a project if you don't have any ground to put, build it on. And so it was the last remaining step, and we're coming up on this line. We're coming up on this area. And I was, uh, we really, they, they said that it came up to like the last possible day. It was like the day before. They said, we're still, we think we can do it. So they come in, they, and then the, the issue was, they had a meeting, and then the night, the day, the, the morning after, uh, they, they called us up and told us, there's, there's no, uh, there's no chance we're not going to get the real estate. So the problem, the problem with that is that we don't meet our metrics, so we went red. So our, the Los Angeles district went red, which also, because of the amount of money, it actually caused the Western United States to go red, which got the whole total attention of the Washington DC folks, uh, and they go, hey, what happened out there? So, one, th- one thing that happened was the three-star general in Washington, D.C. called the one-star general. The three-star general called the one-star general in San Francisco and asked, what happened? And then the one-star general called the colonel in our district and asked, what happened? And the colonel talked to my boss and asked, what happened? And then my boss talked to me and he said, what happened? And I turned around and I didn't have anybody to ask. <laughs> and so, so, so then I thought, well... All right, I gotta explain what happened. So I, I had, I wrote this about a three page paper on everything we'd done and how we were all ready to go and the issues with real estate and how we didn't do it. And that went all the way up the chain. And it, I think it helped. I think it helped. Uh, however, and the good news is Congress did not pull our funding. However, the pressure really came down. So now we still have this project. We still have all the issues with real estate and it has to, it has to be finished. And, uh, we had to get it done, uh, as soon as we possibly could. Really didn't know how that was going to turn out, but we're still in the middle of what we have to do. And so, you know, that, di- that dynamic of waiting and waiting in the face of uncertainty is actually what was happening at the first Christmas. At the first Christmas, there was a time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there were 400 years where God was really silent. God, uh, he, he had, uh, he had been speaking to the, uh, prophets and others in the Old Testament. For about 400 years, he was silent. And to give you some kind of frame of reference, 400 years ago, the Mayflower hadn't yet landed in, in Massachusetts, and we didn't have any colony there. So, I mean, this we're talking about a long period of time. And the Jewish people, they've been looking for the fulfillment of a promise, and this promise was that a Messiah was coming. And so for 400 years, it just didn't look like anything was happening towards that end. And... It looked like Israel has just had been going down and down in their in their influence and their significance. In fact, you know, uh, they they'd been conquered by the Babylonians, the Persians, and then during this 400 year period, they've been conquered by the Greeks and conquered by the uh, Romans. And the question is, like, you know, how did the Jewish people really deal with this 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 silence? You know, there's a lot of people that they turned away from their belief in God and they just gave up. There's a lot of Jewish people that did that. There's a lot of, there's some Jewish people that just still kept did, doing religious things because it was their culture. And they're, overall, they're just a kind of a quiet sense of hopelessness as they look to the future. It just felt like things weren't really going to happen. But there were, there were some group, there was a group of people that over the generations through that 400 years, they remained faithful. And, and they walked with God and they really, they really enjoyed uh, a relationship with Him. And I, what I want to do today is I want to walk through the story of two of those people, uh, Zachariah, and Elizabeth. And we're going to walk through their story in the book of Luke. Um, 
Luke started his gospel with this story. This is like the very first thing that happened. And in uh, verses 5 and 6, it says, In the time of Herod, the king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, this is a couple who just continually, faithfully walked with God and taking him really seriously. And it says they walked with him blamelessly. Like, if you were to follow them around, you would see that they actually really were who they said they were. They, they just really who they were. And they were really looking to God in the face of this 400 years of silence and, and being faithful to him. So what was going on in their lives during this period of time? Go to verse 7. It says, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So they were really dealing with disappointment in their life, things that they had really prayed for, things they really wanted, those hadn't been coming about. And in that culture, for a, for a woman not to have kids, it was really kind of a disgrace that Elizabeth bore. So that was, just, that was just something that was going on in their life. And in the face of all that, they were just being faithful with God. Well, that year, Zechariah was selected out of all the priests, many, many priests, to be the one priest that went into the temple and offered the, off the, uh, the offering of incense. Uh, it was a great honor. It was a huge honor for him to be able to do that. So he goes in there. He's by the temple all by himself. He's the only one in there by, uh, by, by design. And then this happens. In verse 12, it says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it would have got really crowded in there right then. <laughs> it's like, you know, he's in there by himself. He's, he's, he knows he's going to be I mean, here by himself. All of a sudden, he's not by himself. And there's, a, there's an angel there. And then when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, what angels always have to say when they meet somebody is, do not be afraid, <laughs> because it's a very frightening thing when an angel shows up. He says, do not be afraid. He says, your prayer has been heard. I don't know about you, but I just, just to hear that had to be pretty amazing. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Your, your prayers have really been heard. And right there when the angel spoke, that, that's the moment when the 400 years of silence was broken. That was the very moment that it happened. It was right there with Zechariah. And they said that you're going to have a son, and this he's going to be John, uh, which is John the Baptist. And then he goes on and he talks about like who, what he's going to be like. So let's, says, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He needed, people needed to be brought back because a lot of them had really given up. They'd really given up on that God was really working and he was really operating and he was really going to fulfill the promise that he gave. And then it goes on and it continues to talk about John. He says, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And he was really, his what he was going to do is really prepare the way for the Messiah. When the Messiah came, he was going to get folks really ready to really hear the message that the Messiah had. So Zechariah's response. Now, if you were really old and someone just told you, you're going to have a little kid and you're going to bounce on your knee, you'd probably have a very similar response that Zechariah did. And that is, he says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. And then he, he doesn't say his wife is an old lady. He says, 
she's well along in years. So even then, he's being very diplomatic. You know, you know, hey, things get written down. So uh, just want to make sure, just want to make sure that we're we're clear. She's she's well along in years. Um, and then, uh, so he's asking, like, how can I be sure of this? Look at the well, just look at the angel's response. The angel said to him, "I am Gabriel." I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. He says, you know what? I'm Gabriel. I'm an angel. And I stand in the presence of God, and God sent me to tell you this. That's how you can be sure, because God does what he says you'll do. And then he says, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Now think about that, the appointed time. This will come true at the appointed time. This was a time, this was on God's calendar. You know, you mean there was a point, there was a day on the calendar that God had actually pinpointed when this was going to happen? The answer is yes. And those 400 years, the time that he was taking, that was all on purpose. And he had this point picked out, and he was moving towards that point in time, and that's what he was intending to do. And he had not quit paying attention, and he'd been very, very active. And what he'd been doing is he'd been actively preparing the world for Jesus' arrival. He had been working on a geopolitical scale. He had been doing all kinds of things to get ready for that moment. Um, One thing about the Greeks is when they came through, Alexander the Great, uh, he spread the Greek culture and the Greek language throughout all all of the conquered land that he had. And he set up libraries where people could learn the language. And Greek became the universal language of the world at that time. And the Old Testament during that 400 years was actually, it was translated into Greek. So it was more accessible to more and more people. And then when the, when the New Testament was written, as this unfolded, it was written in Greek as well so that this message that Jesus had, that the Messiah had when he came, it actually was able to really propagate and really be able to be disseminated. And then when Rome came to power, what they did is they created this great system of infrastructure. There were roads that went everywhere now, roads that would take you different places. And so that when when the Messiah came, when his message was out there, there was a, there was a, a language vehicle and also a transportation that was available for this message really to go out. So that one of the big things he was doing is just preparing the whole world for that moment at his appointed time. Now, Luke, Luke tells us that Zechariah finished his service. You know, he finished what he was supposed to do in the temple. And then he walked out. He couldn't talk. And everyone's like, whoa, something happened to him in there because now he can't talk. He tries to explain it to him. And then he goes home. And then it says, after, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown me favor. And taken away my disgrace among the people. The th- one of the things, the thing that had been weighing on her, the thing they'd been praying for, the thing that they'd been looking for, it had really happened. And she was very, very grateful. And God had really taken care of them. Then, Gabriel, the very, the end of this story is actually the start of the next. Let's look at 26 and 27. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. A descendant of David, the virgin's name, was Mary. 
This was all leading up to that moment, that story, the Christmas story when Jesus came. So the Christmas story, it really answers the question. One, one thing it does is it answers the question, does God keep his promises? And the answer is yes. God keeps his promises. You can really bank on what God says. And you really put your hope in that. And the, what, when God, when the time, point in time came, God really brought the Messiah just like he promised. Even though it felt like things weren't really happening, things were really happening. And what we can really learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth is that God really pays attention. He pays attention to and he's moved by those who remain faithful to him in the circumstances they're in. Those, he's really, he really takes care of people. And that really gives us hope. That really gives us hope. And that hope, that hope in God is really what anchors us. Is being able to hope that God, that there's something good in the future for us, is really the hope that really anchors us in. It gives us the stability we need. And it's really anchored in the character of God and His promises and who He is. Let's look at Hebrews uh, 6, 19. It says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Is because of what Jesus did, we can really, we really can be anchored to God's promises and His action and His work in our lives. And He really does. He really takes care, takes care of us. And one, what this hope brings us, what this hope really brings us is a few things that it brings us is it brings us courage. It brings us courage because he can really be, be really relied on. One thing you see, like as you look back, you look back in the Old Testament, you look at Joshua. And when he first became the leader of Israel, he had a, he had a, he had a very large task ahead of him. And one thing that God told him in Joshua 1.9, he says, he says uh, that uh, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. And then he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God made this promise. He told him, be courageous because I'm going to be with you everywhere you're going. And then at the end of his life, let's look at Joshua, what Joshua says just at the end of his life. He says, now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Our response, if we will just stay faithful where God has placed us and really trusting in Him and being faithful with with the things that He's given us to do, then He's really active in our world and He really keeps His promises. We can really put our hope in that. Another thing that this hope really brings us is just perspective. Uh, this, let's look at what the psalmist says in, uh, Isaiah, in uh, Psalm 42.5. He's talking to himself, and he says, Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. One thing, one thing we need to do as we're facing things is we need to, we need to preach to ourselves. We need to talk to ourselves and remind us of what God's really done for us in the past and how he's really going to take care of us in the future. And just the hope in God. What, what he's saying here is he says, he says there's going to be a time in the future when I'm going to look back at this time and I'm going to see how you've taken me through it. And because he had that hope, that really took him through and helped him through the things he was currently facing. So we really want to preach to ourselves, preach to ourselves that. 
And then another thing that hope gives us is really perseverance. It gives us perseverance. In Romans 15.4, it says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We really, we really need to seek God and His guidance through the Scriptures as we face things. Because it's through the Scriptures that we really get the encouragement we need to really have hope. We, we look back, look back, you look back into the Scriptures and what you do is you see stories of real people, uh, real stories of real people, of people who have really faced a lot of situations. They're in the middle of a situation. You can see how they relied on God and you can really see how it all turned out. And it really leads us to rely on God ourselves. It's very encouraging. Like when we, we read about Zechariah and Elizabeth, just to see how their lives really were a big part of the grand story that God had because they just were faithfully walking with him. So I want to, I want to go back to like what happened with, uh, what happened with this project that we were trying to get awarded. And, uh, this is about six years ago. We're trying to get this project awarded and just see there was, uh, the, the one issue is the real estate just continued to be a problem. And so our sponsor kept working on that. And finally, they had to get real estate from uh, Caltrans and California State Parks. And so if you think of government agencies trying to get real estate from government agencies, you know, they, they moved at the uh, speed of a, uh, of a blazing grace glacier. I mean, it's like it was a glacial pace. And so with so many meetings, and they're trying to get some agreement. And finally, it became clear that agreement could not happen. And so, I mean, within the time frame we had, so they decided to do a, a condemnation, which it was, it was, it wasn't disputed by the other, by the other, uh, agencies. They just said, there's no way you're going to get this unless you condemn us. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. So we're going through this condemnation thing and it's all, it looks like it's all going to line up and it looks like it might happen just in time. But then about a week, about a week before this time happened, uh, the, the, our local sponsor, which is Riverside County Flood Control District, got a hold of me. And they just said, uh, hey, we just found out there's three utilities that have to be abandoned in the project area. And if, uh, if the city of Corona, he said, you know what, the city of Corona, there's no way in the world we could ever get the city of Corona to agree to this in a week. And so we're not going to be able to get, we're not going to be able to get, Real estate. We're not going to be able to get the utilities cleared, so you won't be able to award the project. Now that is not a good thing to hear after the year before you didn't do it. And so as I'm hearing this, he said, you know what? We wrote you a letter. We wrote an official letter. I'm going to send you an email with it. And I'm also going to send, uh, I'm going to send it in the mail. But, uh, basically the letter just tells you that this, that we can't get the, we cannot get what you need to get this project this year. And man, I was just reeling. I was just thinking, my, my gosh, um, we don't want to do this again. And then what I did is I asked him, well, I'll tell you what, could you just set up a meeting? Just set up a meeting with the city of Corona. We'll go out and we'll just talk to them. And let's just find out what they have to say. Let's just at least make an attempt. And he goes, well, uh, it's not going to work, but okay. I'll set up a meeting in the next couple of days. Went, well, thank you. So then, you know, I just began to really pray. And just, I had been praying actually all through the year that God would really bring this about. And so I just began to pray, God, would you just give us favor in these people's eyes? And just that they would come to a quick resolution on these utilities so we can get this done. So we go in, a couple days later, we go in to meet with them. 
And as we're sitting there in the meeting, uh, they asked, you know, well, what does he want us to do? And so I, I presented and I just told them, you know, this is part of a project. This is part of a, this is part of about a $2 billion project that we've been building for about 25 years. And we've been building from both ends and we're right here in the middle. This is one of the last remaining pieces. And until these pieces are built, our project really doesn't function. And so we really need to get this done. And plus, the federal funding, I told them about the federal funding issues. And as they listened, uh, they just, they, they were taking it in and then I just told them, then we just kind of ended our presentation and asked, they told them about these three utilities that need to be abandoned. And I said, you know, do we, is there any chance that you could do this? And the city engineer looked at us for just a minute and then she said, you know, I don't think I ever fully really understood what this project was all about. And I'll tell you what, we can, we can abandon those three utilities. And you guys, if you would just draft, I know you guys are in a time bind, just draft a letter, send it to us, we'll have our lawyers look at it, we'll sign it, we'll send it back to you, and you'll be good to go. Like, man, well, thank you. And she walks out of the room, and we're like looking at each other across the table, and like, man, man, y'all, man, you just asked, the power of a request, you know, just... We asked, and also just that God was really with us, and he really did give us favor in her eyes. And it was just so exciting. For me, it was just so exciting. So I, we walked out of there, and everyone's you know, kind of real celebrating, and we're, we're going to make it. And we did. The condemnation uh, action happened about two days before the deadline, and we actually were able to award that project. Well, as I'm driving back to work after that, after that meeting, I pulled back in, and I walk, go, up, you know, go up to this, uh, go to our floor, and the mail had just been delivered. And I pulled out the mail, and in that mail was the letter they sent me telling me how what just happened was impossible. And I, so I, I took that letter, and I thought, well, isn't that interesting? What was impossible is what just happened. And so I took that letter, and I, and I set it by my monitor. And for two or three years, I just left it there. I didn't, op- I didn't, op- I didn't open it. I knew what it said. I just didn't open it. And I just that was just a reminder to me that God was really with me, just like he promised, and that, and that I wasn't alone and my responsibilities and the things I was trying to be faithful with, that God was really right there with me. And that just made, made all the difference. It was always a reminder. So what I want to ask as I, as I wrap up this morning is, just in your life and in my life, as we look at our lives, what feels, what feels hopeless to us right now? What feels like, what feels like it just, it just can't happen. And to just really, I'd really encourage all of us, just as next steps, to really take what we're currently facing to God. And to really seek Him and His encouragement through His Word. To really seek Him out and His encouragement through His Word. And then to courageously stay faithful. To courageously stay faithful with what He's put on our plates. Asking him really to move and work with us. So let me, let me pray for us as the band comes back down. Dear God, I just thank you for this morning. And I just pray, I just pray God that, uh, God, as the things we're facing, the things that are in front of us, Father, the things that are really concerning us, that we would take those to you and that you would, Father, would really work in those areas and really uh, really bring about the things that really concern us. And God, that you'd really show us through our own story that you keep your promises and that you care about us. In Jesus' name, amen.